You're listening to Fly By Night, a podcast by FedEx Pilots for FedEx Pilots. Brought to you by the FedEx Master Executive Council of the Airline Pilots Association. And now, here's your host, MEC Communications Chair, Captain Chris Lee. My guest today is Scope Committee Chair, Captain Randy Brockwell. Randy's here today to talk to the pilots about how Scope works at FedEx. This podcast will not include a discussion on the new TA language, but instead will focus on the Scope topic in general. For more information on the new TA language, please listen to our TA podcast series and go to our TA website, fdxta.com. Randy, thanks for coming. I appreciate being here, Chris. Well, let's start with the Atlas 747 wet leases. Can you talk to the pilots some about that? Yeah, the good thing is that those uh, wet leases are coming to an end. In the summer of 21, FedEx uh, wet leased two Atlas 747s for a 24-month period to cover uh, a need for additional lift in Asia. In uh, the fall of 22, that need decreased, and those two airplanes were moved to the Memphis-San Juan and Memphis-Honolulu runs. Like I said, that contract will end at the end of June, and they will generate uh, wet lease penalties for us. Since we're talking about wet leases, when might pilots expect their next penalty payment? The MEC should be receiving the company's proposed uh, wet lease penalty payments for calendar year 22 anytime now. Uh, last year, it took them until uh, July to get those numbers, so that's about when we're expecting them now. And how will this payment compare to the last penalty payments we received? Well, everybody knows the last penalty payment was substantial. It was by far the biggest we've ever received, and that's because it covered a 15-month period, and there was a lot of wet leasing going on then, up to eight airplanes per month. In 22, it was just the two Atlas 747s that were wet leased for 12 months. So it's still going to be a substantial penalty payment, probably the second largest we've ever received, but nowhere near as big as this last one we've gotten. We hear a lot of talk about the ASL airplanes in Paris. Can you talk to the pilots a little bit about that? Sure thing, Chris. Uh, I'll start with just a little bit of background because we have so many pilots on property here who've been here five years or less. Back in 2016, FedEx bought TNT Express, a European package delivery company based in Belgium. Part of TNT was their airline, which was called TNT Airways, uh, that flew 737s, 777s, and a couple of 75s. FedEx absorbed the 777s into uh, the FedEx fleet and had to spin off the rest of the uh, airline because an American company can't own a European-based airline under European law. The spinoff was bought by an Irish company called ASL Aviation Holdings and branded that particular airline ASL Belgium. We call that ASLB, and ASLB contracted with FedEx to provide 737 lift in the European theater. It's easy to get confused with all the different versions of ASL. So what's the difference between ASL and ASL Belgium? ASL is the overall holding company, and uh, they're based in Ireland, and they own four different European airlines, ASL Ireland, which primarily contracts with Amazon, ASL France, which supports the French Postal Service, and ASL Belgium, which contracts for FedEx. Those lines are a little fuzzy, though, and sometimes you'll see ASL Belgium actually contracting out uh, 737s from ASL Ireland and ASL France and other third-party contracts to provide a lift for FedEx. Isn't this a violation of our scope section in the CBA? Actually, it's not. Paragraph uh, 1.B.2 of our CBA defines international flying as having to originate from, terminate in, or transit the United States or its territories by a location outside of the lower 48. 
This European fly-in doesn't touch the United States, therefore it doesn't meet any of those parameters, so it's not covered under Section 1. Well, has anything been done in the past to fix the scope section? Well, Chris, efforts certainly have been made. Back in 2006, attempts were made to discuss this type of flying with the company, but they cited that, uh, among other reasons, they felt that this flying was not covered under the RLA due to the fact that it was entirely outside of the United States. Well, doesn't UPS and Atlas both have protections in their contract on scope? Both have language in their contract, but we've had that examined by Alpo Legal, and the opinion is that it is highly unlikely that that could be enforced if it ever was challenged by either party. Well, Randy, there's a lot of concern with the pilots that we're losing our European flying to ASL. Can you talk about that some? Actually, Chris, if you compare our current European 757 flying to what FedEx was doing prior to the TNT purchase, there's actually 50% more going on now than there was then. In late 2021, early 22, during the uh, COVID surge, FedEx 757s actually picked up several city pairs from ASL. When that surge started to subside in late 22 and early 23, some of those pairs went back to ASL. But if you look at the overall result, the uh, May and June 2023 bid packs in Europe actually contain significantly more credit hours than the corresponding bid packs did back in 2021. Well, how does that equate to the reports we get from pilots that they're seeing more and more 737s in Paris? It's frankly because you are seeing more 737s flying out of Paris. Originally, the TNT 737s were primarily flying out of Liège, while the FedEx operations were primarily out of Paris. Over the last two to three years, as FedEx has absorbed the TNT operation, the vast majority of this flying has moved to De Gaulle. During the same period, the ASL fleet numbers have been fairly flat, and as the number of 737s departures out of De Gaulle have increased, there's been a corresponding decrease at Liège. Do you expect that the 737s will take over all the FedEx European flying once the uh, Cologne base closes? Chris, I have absolutely no inside information on that. All we know is what the company has published, that the 757 European flying will be covered from Memphis and that this will require additional pilots. Is it possible for the company to contract with an ASL-type company in Asia and then threaten the Oakland flying? There are no contractual or legal restrictions that would keep this from happening, but there are several practical restrictions. The reason that ASL is able to operate as it does is that the European Union has very liberal open skies rights, particularly for member states. This is what allows an Irish-owned, Belgian-flagged airline like ASL to operate between two French cities. In Asia, it's exactly the opposite. There's no overarching political entity like the EU. In fact, China, who's the big player in the region, doesn't play open skies at all. Every new service has to be individually negotiated and approved. In addition to this, Narita, Hong Kong, Singapore, and most of the Chinese airports are severely slot-limited, and existing slots are very jealously guarded. These restrictions would make it very difficult to create an Asian ASL-type operation. We keep hearing about partner carriers and belly freight. Is FedEx going to start farming out our flying to the passenger airlines? Belly freight's nothing new at FedEx. In the past, it's been used extensively, and it's allowed under paragraph 1.B.4 of the CBA for international ops. Historically, FedEx has used belly freight to move low-yield, non-time critical freight and serve international cities where FedEx doesn't fly. Johannesburg, South Africa is an excellent example of this. FedEx has served Joburg for years with belly freight, 
And now the freight market has grown to the point that it's now served by a 777. Well, why do we hear so much about belly freight? A lot of it's timing. In 2019, belly freight accounted for 47% of all worldwide air freight. That's a tremendous number. If you add up everything FedEx, UPS, and DHL did in 2019, actually more freight was carried by passenger belly freight than by those three freight airlines. In 2020, with COVID, passenger flying took a beating, particularly internationally. At one point, Trans-Pacific passenger flying was down over 70%. This decline took belly freight along with it. Now that the passenger traffic is starting to recover, that belly freight capacity is starting to recover along with it. So that's created an excess of available belly freight on the market right now. You mentioned that domestic belly freight is only allowed if economically necessary or necessary to expedite. Can't the company easily abuse phrases like that? Domestic use of belly freight by the company is not normal. We understand there are extenuating circumstances where belly freight can be moved domestically on an individual basis, but we feel that any use beyond this by the company would be a violation of the contract. Well, Randy, does UPS use belly freight? Uh, Yes, they do. Their contract allows for a significant use of belly freight. Domestically, they can place up to five cargo containers on any domestic flight without penalty. Internationally, it depends upon the block time and the frequency of the flights, but they can move anywhere from 45 to 140 cargo containers each week between any international location and the United States. Well, Randy, thanks again for coming. How can pilots reach out to the SCOPE committee if they have questions? Yeah, Chris, um, I understand scope is very complex and sometimes really hard to understand. If any pilot out there has any questions, feel free to shoot a dart to the uh, scope committee and we will get back to you as quickly as possible and do everything we can uh, to resolve any questions you have regarding the scope section of our contract. Well, thanks again, Randy. And thanks for listening. If you have any questions, please go to our website, fdx.alpha.org, and utilize the dart link. And as always, be safe out there and we'll see you next time.